Shalom, and welcome back to Four Worlds Torah, digging for treasures in the Torah, treasures that matter for our lives and for the world. I am Rabbi Charna Rosenholtz, and I'm here to talk to you about this week's Parsha, He Tavo. We are closing in towards the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Devarim, where it is a repetition of what's come before. Moses is in his last speech to the children of Israel, where he's both reminding everybody of what happened and exhorting them to be on their best behavior as they cross into the land. Today, we receive an extraordinary instruction about how to be in relationship with the produce of the land. Remember, that they are going from the land of Egypt to the desert where they have really eaten nothing much but mana and drunk water that came from a mysterious stone or well. And they are about to return to the land where they're going to have to work and toil the land and create a relationship with the earth. Something was something we often forget about the Torah is that it was written to both create a relationship between humans and the land, humans and the soil, as well as to cultivate very specific behavioral and moral characteristics. And so one of the things that's going to be happening here is a reminder that you will not be working this land and you need to have a relationship with the soil. Let's go into the text itself so that we can better understand what's happening. It begins with a very clear, uh, clear instruction. When you enter the land that God, your God, is giving you as a heritage, um, uh, Adonai Elohecha noten lecha nachala v'rishta. And you will possess this land. You will settle in it. So this is to be seen as a gift. And something that we are now being instructed to do is to take some of every first fruit of the soil, of the adama, of the actual soil. You are creating a relationship with this soil. Uh, you will harvest this. That comes from the toil of your hand, of what is being given to you by God. And you will put it in a basket you'll put these fruit first fruits in a basket ba tene and you'll go to a very specific place because here you're going to help the adonai elohecha lishachin shemo sham to establish the divine name to take god's name and to really allow it to dwell inside of the land. Here we have a remarkable coupling of God's name, God's imminent and transcendent presence being established through the soil itself, through the soil, through the first fruits. This is an extraordinary reminder that we realize this gift or hachaim tells us we have to realize this gift of the land in our heart 
And we have to also understand that there's something very indigenous about this. All the fruit of the soil, which you harvest, which you work, there's an indigenous element of that we take these fruits, these fruits that are a delight. We all know here in the heart of summer, as we're eating peaches and melons, and we had all those beautiful cherries, and soon will be the apples, and there's the berries. There's nothing like fruit to give us a sense of bounty and rejoicing and delight. And how we capture these beautiful first fruits and offer them in this back basket, giving it into the hand of the priest so that the priest can raise our offering up. This seals our connection from the soil, the earth, the land to the beautiful offering into creating a connection between ourselves and heaven, creating it through the earth. This opening of the heart is so important to understand that our ancients realized that heart and mind were interconnected through the principle of lev. Lev is heart, lamed bait, and this, this heart, this opening is so important as a posture of how we are in relationship with the gifts. First fruits is delight, and we bring it in full-on appreciation and humility. I'll get back to that in just a moment. Because we've talked about entering the land that came through the pleasure of our forefathers, the priests taste the basket from our hand. And then we have chapter 26, verse 5. And this is really the crux of what I want to talk about today. It is said when you give this into the priest's hand, va'anita va'amarta lifnei Adonai Elohecha, Arami Oved Avi. Recite as follows before your God, my father was a fugitive airman. He went down to Egypt with meager numbers and sojourned there, but became a great and very populous nature, nation. Um, now, who is this father wandering airman? Our tradition doesn't fully agree. Um, the Rashbam says it's Avraham, even Ezra says it's Jacob. The point that we want to make about this is that according to the Or HaChaim, the great commentator uh, who was both mystical and rational, he lived at the same time as the Baal Shem Tov, he reminds us that this is a moment when we come and we come in all of our vulnerability, it is a moment where we will come from our broken heart. How do we know this? The very first word of line five, va'anita. Some say it comes from the word root, ayin, nun, yud, which means hubble. Others say that it comes from the word root, ayin, nun, hey which means to answer, respond, to testify, to create a testifying moment. But there's also something about it that means to sing out, to call out loudly. 
It's also connected with affliction and oppression. It's about being humble. What happens when you're afflicted and how one creates a posture of humility, humbles oneself down in one's affliction. How can this be? When you're upset, when you're oppressed, when you're afflicted, why go to humility? But think about it, my friends. At the key of this is having a posture of humility in times of oppression so that one can move into the territory of one's heart. One can feel one's brokenheartedness. And from this place, as the great Leonard Cohn said, it is through my broken heart, this crack in my heart, that the light can get in. It is an essential element of teshuva. Teshuva, that place that we're all trying to work with and connect to during this month of El Ulf. We create a posture of humility in deep, deep appreciation. As we understand creating this indigenous connection between soil and God. We have to know the source of our salvation and blessing and publicly accept this connection to the great mystery. It is important to understand that my father was a wandering Aramean, that Jacob will look at this through the lens as if it was Jacob, who really had a lot of difficulties in his life and yet maintained his connection to God, maintained his vows to uphold ethical monotheism in the world. It's very important that many in the tradition says it's important to have song along with this ritual because song opens the heart. So we come in this posture of appreciation, humility, and hope and heartedness in order to call forth gratitude and joy for the receiving of these amazing fruits. But I want to add another element to this conversation, this very deep teaching that, um, that has come to me from my work with the Right Use of Power Institute, because I have thought in much detail why is it that we are to continually talk about the fact that we have come from suffering, that every single day we are to say, God, you saved me from Egypt with an outstretched hand. Here we are to make this call. We are to make this call as it tells us in chapter 26, 5, um, I will call out and say before God, my father was a fugitive Aramean, went down to Egypt with meager numbers and sojourned there. Why is it so important to remind ourselves in humility again and again about this? And remember, this, this sentence is a part of the Passover liturgy. And according to Sota, the Talmud, it is something that we must recite in Hebrew. It's so deep and so important. And I've started to think about something called the neurobiology of power. What happens when one has 
good fortune, let's say the Israelites come into the land, they take over, sometimes by very difficult means, you know, through war or captivity, and suddenly have power in the land. What happens when one has power or slash influence without heart? What happens neurobiologically to power if one does not hold their power with deep humility? Well, there's a tremendous amount of research today that talks about what happens in the brain chemistry when one has a lot of power, up power and influence. There's changes in testosterone, which releases dopamine. Um, there's serotonin changes. All of these things, when you have power over others, controlling others and resources, that has profound effects on the mind and the brain. There's a lot of research and there's a link to um, Dr. Keltner's research. He's a psychological professor, but um, there's a great deal of research that talks about how having power shifts and changes one's capacity for empathy, one's capacity for looking at various details. Um, those feeling powerful were three times more likely to orient their perspective from their own perspective without taking others into view, often less able to make people's individuating traits um, uh, forefront. They're more, they rely more heavily on stereotypes. Um, often there are decreased cognitive function on down power people because of these issues. You see, the research says that elevated power increases psychological distance one feels from others. And this distance, according to construal level theory, should lead to more abstract information processing and less looking at some of the details. It shifts empathy. And there's something termed the power paradox that Keltner talked about that says that once we have power, we lose some of the capacities we needed to gain that power in the first place. My father was a wandering Aramean, and I have this gift of land and fruit and all of the amazing possibilities my life can have. But it came because I was once depressed and my father was once depressed. And if I remember that and remember these gifts, I can guard against over letting the having power overcome my goodness and my empathic points of view. By consistently and continually remembering this, we have the opportunity to understand that the 36 time Torah, 36 times Torah tells us to treat the stranger, the widow, the orphan well, by treating the marginalized populations well, by holding these close and allowing ourselves to know that these are not entitled truths, but these are gifts that we have. And we have a responsibility to stay humble and to stay in appreciation. Then we then understand how powerful this text really is to help us understand how to be in the world in a way that always privileges heart and goodness and empathy 
and compassion because after all, isn't that the world we all want to live in? Thank you so much for your kind intention. May you have a beautiful, beautiful Shabbat. And I hope Rabbi Shoshana will be back with us soon. Many blessings, everybody. <laughs>